0: Well hello again to another episode of the Culture and Cafecito podcast. This is episode two of season two. On today's episode, I chat with my colleague and friend Brian Nesbitt, Finance Manager, well-being Wizard, and Mental Health Advocate at Deloitte. On this episode, we talk about culture as it relates to mental health in the workplace. As a vulnerable conversation, we share our own mental health journeys, what led to our own mental health breakdowns, the stigma and shame around mental health issues at work, and what wellness tools have supported our own well-being. We talk in detail as to how our journeys have contributed to what we do now, how leaders can set the tone to help destigmatize mental health, and how organizations can create the conditions that enable their employees To bring their whole selves to work in order to foster corporate cultures of integrated well-being this conversation was so vulnerable for me but i hope that our stories keep inspiring you to share your own story to keep going wherever you are in your own mental health journey and remember that your mental health challenges can often become your greatest contributions to others so excited that you're here let's get started all right. Hey, hey, Brian, how's it going? So
1: good. good. How
2: are you doing?
0: Good. I'm so glad to see you again. Absolutely. You. you as well. Yeah. Thanks so much for, you know, connecting again on this topic. I think it's really important and I'm really excited that I finally got the courage to actually um, be more open about my own experience and also hear yours too. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, so um, just for my uh, listeners on my side, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you currently do?
2: Sure, sure. So Brian Nesbitt, um, I'm a, by title, a finance manager at Deloitte Consulting uh, here in the DC area. I've been with them for about six years, but I would say one of the the biggest passions of mine and opportunities that I have with working at Deloitte is uh, four years ago, it became a a well-being wizard, and got really involved within their well-being culture and their space. Um, so, on top of my kind of day-to-day finance job, I have the the privilege and the opportunity to design well-being content and wellness content uh, for all of the enabling areas within the the federal sector, um, which is great. I mean, I get a user audience of about a thousand people, or potential user audience of a thousand people, and I get to deliver a well-being program, right? To hopefully help them focus on themselves and make sure that. By doing that, they are able to bring their best selves, their authentic selves, to work and thrive and succeed while at work. Um, so that's so. That's my that's my goal. That's what I do now. Um, more to come, hopefully, uh, in terms of a bigger journey for myself as well. But uh, really excited about my journey so far being able to do that.
0: Super cool. Uh, well, yeah. yeah, I really like meeting you. And I think um, I always think back to like the first time I met you, which was uh, what was it that like authentic. Connection.
2: <laughs> workshop. Yeah, it was it was cultivating authentic connection in the workplace. I think was the class that we took at Deloitte, which was um, actually a really great class. Uh, I got a lot out of that. Yeah. Um, and so uh, excited, you know. I mean, and they have a lot of great well-being content, but yeah, that's where we first met. Is that that course? And I think I ended up saying something on the call or, or introducing myself, and you reached out to me afterwards. And I think we've been we've been kind of growing this friendship and. Uh, ever since,
0: yeah. Well, I think what what called me to you was the fact that you had you were the only person that had your camera on, and for me, connection is super important. So, being that you were the only one on camera, I looked you up and I was like, "He's a well-being wizard." I wonder what that means. I want that on my resume, you know, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And um, and it inspired me because I didn't realize that um, Deloitte had this like other. Um, like goal or, I would, you know, uh, kind of mission that's also kind of in the well-being and mental health space that really impacted me. I remember the first time I saw, um, I saw kind of an article that someone posted about, you know, talking about suicide. And I was very taken back because I was like, wow, this company is very open about mental health issues. And um, I was kind of surprised by it, but also just like, I'm like, wow, like they're definitely taking a huge, approach here to um sort of destigmatize uh what you know what uh how we see mental health. And so um yeah that's that's what kind of led me to you but I, I'm curious, curious to know like how how did you arrive in this well-being stuff? I know that you've been doing finance for a long time, but uh what's your well-being journey
2: been? yeah so yeah it's very so well being journey and how I got there right is um very personal. I mean I was uh just, at, just like at Deloitte and my previous company prior to that, I think a lot of us enter the the workplace with high expectations of ourselves, wanting to be high performers, want to accelerate our, our journey up the career ladder, right, yeah. um, within the corporate world. And, and my story was no different, right? I, I got out of school and, and was a high achiever in school, wanted to be a high achiever at work, um, which to me at the time meant the more hours, the better, the more work, the better, you know, no boundaries whatsoever in terms of my personal time very much go, go, go. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Um, and so that, uh, it did serve me well. I mean, in terms of moving up and getting noticed and, uh, my performance, but at the end of the day, you know, I was a few years into, uh, that, you know, that world, maybe five years into that world. And I really burned myself out to a point where, you know, when you, work consistent 80 hour weeks and you get home at midnight and you go back in at 5am and you're getting no sleep and you're not eating because of all the stress um that ultimately got me to a point of of panic attacks and and pretty much an anxious and nervous breakdown and so um that is that is where my well-being journey i think started because i really wasn't focusing on myself at all when it came to uh how i view well-being now um, for myself and how I do practice self-care and all those things, wasn't doing any of that. And so that ultimately led, you know, like I said, led to those panic attacks, you know, and, and that first panic attack happened in the office at work um, here in D.C. And so um had a colleague of mine kind of help me out at the time, um, got out of there. And and from there on, um, and, you know, we, we, we like to think kind of that we can figure out well-being stuff, mental health stuff, Hopefully, quickly with the help of doctors and things like that, and hopefully that's the case. But for me, it was uh, definitely a long journey. I think from that point uh, to where I actually really stopped the up and down swings from a um, anxiety panic attack perspective, took me about six years. Um, so it was a lot of up and downs, uh, ups and downs um, throughout that um, to try to kind of get stabilized and get to a point where. Uh, I felt as good as I am today, let's say. Right. And so when I, when I moved to Deloitte, actually um, I was kind of still going through it. Uh, I was still anxious. I was still um, depressed. I was still having panic attacks on occasions. Um, And I remember my first year was no different at Deloitte. And my, and I think one of the turning points for me was I was with Deloitte and had a really bad uh, episode at a client site. I was client facing at the time at Deloitte, um, and I had to go to the hospital. And so, yeah, uh, it was bad. it was it was it was up there for me in terms of kind of rock bottom moments. Um, it's it's scary when you get to a point where you've had all these ups and downs. You think you kind of got to figure it out, and yet you hit a rock bottom moment still, where uh, you know things like suicide pop into your head.
1: Yeah. Wow. Right.
2: And then having to go to the hospital for that for three to four days to try to figure that out. That was the moment in time, I think, where, you know, six years in, I was like, something's got to change. right? Like, I can't continue to keep doing this and go through this cycle. And, you know, I, I I was solely reliant on medical help only. And I think that was the turning point for me where I said, I got to figure out something else that I can do on my own without just that.
1: That's going mm-hmm. not- to Kind of pushed me towards that.
2: And so that was, that got to kind of the upswing, right? From every rock bottom moment, you kind of get that, hopefully, that opposite trajectory upswing um, from it. And so that started the upswing for me um, on my own personal well being journey. And then it was almost like a light bulb came on too as I was going through that journey and the well being wizard opportunity came up uh, and the ability to share my story at work. That was the moment where I think purpose aligned for me. Um, with my well-being journey to a point where i was like i need to help people i need to help people whether that's through sharing my story or whether that's through tangible actions that i take that can that can support them and it was just from that from that on from that on that moment forward it was just sharing my story one step at a time at deloitte um and within any opportunity that i could do it within any audience talking about any of those ranges of topics we just discussed, right from panic attacks to anxiety to suicide, and being able to to share that in front of individuals at Deloitte and then ultimately unveil or develop me into a person where I can now create well-being content for people, right? And so I know that was a long a long kind of journey there. Um, but it was a personal story uh, and a personal experience that got me to the point where I found my purpose and I feel like that's where most people find their purpose is through personal experience and going through something that that pushes them towards a certain
0: yeah oh my goodness that's you know as as you're sharing that I'm really present to the fact that like sometimes it's almost like we have to like hit rock bottom for us to make a true change and it's unfortunate that that has to be the case but almost like these like like, you know, what I call like the dark night of the soul moments are the ones that we find um most of our treasures, right? Like we're able to kind of find what we're actually here to do or what we want to um what we're here to contribute to others as well. Yeah. Um yeah. And so how have you kind of what are you looking forward to doing now? I think, you know, your own personal story of like being able to share yourself and your own story, I think is really brave. Um, you know, it's been For me I have my own personal well-being story and I have had a really hard time putting it out there like you have and so um what 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 was the shift that you had that allowed you to be just open about it like what 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 was that for like how what 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 how was that created
2: (laughs) yeah yeah I mean well one of it was I think I kind of look at it as this like little seesaw almost right where it got to a point I don't think we're ever really done from a healing perspective or personal work perspective, I think that's always an ongoing process in everyone's life. It's constant work, right? Like you're always having to make sure you're focusing on yourself or else you fall behind, right? And yeah. so I've, I I kind of live that way. But I think the point of sharing my story, I think it was a seesaw moment where if you look at both sides of the seesaw as like the middle being the 50% line, I yeah. think that as soon as I kind of got over that 50% hump of where I felt like that was heat like more healed and can share and share little tidbits, I started being open. And I will say it wasn't like the first time I shared something, it was like, oh, here's the entire story, right? Yeah. Because that's, that's, that's a lot at, at, at once. And so a lot of it for me was just sharing my experience of anxiety in the workplace and my mm-hmm. burnout experience and all those things and having to take leaves of, of absence from work. It was just kind of that level, right? Very top level. And it wasn't only till after that, you know, with little baby steps that I was able to finally get to a point where I was, you know, speaking on a panel at Deloitte about suicide.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, I think that that is, it's not like it happens overnight. I think it's just a baby steps of sharing and vulnerability and simultaneously being in a safe space type of environment like Deloitte, mm-hmm. where you feel welcomed and not judged and there's nothing held against you as a result of sharing those things and so that is huge by the way i want to kind of like commend them for for creating that space because imagine you sharing that and someone shutting you down right that would create a situation where you are not going to share anymore you're not going to continue down that path so the ability to them to create that safe space but then my ability to just share pieces at a time over time I think is, is, is what got me to that path. And now I'm, you know, if you know me now, you've known me for a couple of years now. Right. And so I have no problem sharing anything and everything about my life to anyone and what's happened um, partially because I've gotten evidence through my experience that that's actually helpful and, and healing for me. Um,
0: it's so healing to share, you know, to yeah. just be, be raw and real about what's going on in life. But I think what you're speaking on is really critical because I think that there's very few organizations that create that safe space for people to be able to share themselves. You know, like Mm -hmm. I was thinking about your story, like when you were in the thick of the worst parts, you weren't uh, potentially aware that you were going through them, you know, or that you were kind of in the, in the thick of it all, that it would enable you or empower you to even share that stuff. Because to some extent, there was probably, I mean, for me, at least I've experienced like shame or fear around voicing that stuff, because out of the fear of like, how it might be perceived at work, right? Or that I could lose my job or something like that. And so, So I'm just curious to know, like, based on your experience now, how how can organizations create those safe spaces for for um, for people to be more open about what they may be going through, right? And what what does it take? Because for me, I think it's about like the relationships you have with with managers and who you mm-hmm. work with. But I'm just curious to know if there's anything else you think could help create those spaces. Yeah, I mean, I think
2: I think one, you have to have a corporate culture from the top down that's going to set the stage,
1: mm-hmm. right?
2: I mean. We, we look at Deloitte and, you know, you know, you being at Deloitte as well. I mean, it was Jen Fisher, right, from a well-being leader perspective. The fact that Deloitte had a chief well-being officer in its C-suite, you know, already sends the signal to the organization that that's something that we care about, right? And something that we want to make sure we we bring forward. Then she generated Well-Being Wizards to kind of create that, uh, you know, that, that ambassador program on the ground that people can kind of put forward. And then just going forward and her setting the examples and the stages of, hey, I want to, do this you know uh, push on having people share their stories and let's share it. I want to have you know these panels and have these con- courageous conversation type panels um, where where partners and leaders come and talk about their own experiences because right. I think a lot of times, you know we as young individuals and me included when I was younger, we don't ever consider the fact, right that partners or directors or VPs or senior managers or all these individuals, have gone through tough stuff.
1: Yeah.
2: Like we don't, we don't think that we we kind of view them as almost like, oh well, they're super successful. They must have just been like rock solid the entire time and got all the way up to the top.
1: Yeah. Right. And 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 we
2: and you and I know that now know, like through experience of life, like pain is a pain is inevitable. Everyone has it. Yes. Yeah, Everyone has a story. Yeah. And I think just creating the stage where leaders are telling that story, right? And sharing and setting the, setting the stage for everyone younger to kind of come forward and share uh, creates kind of that safe space altogether. And then on top of that at Deloitte, you know, obviously, as you become a manager uh, and above now, there is a ton of work that we do around training, around mental health 101, mental health first aid, manager trainings that you do as you become new managers going to DU. Um, you know, all of those things, um, I think, help set the stage from top down
1: mm-hmm. to
2: give people, examples of what that looks like, right? Give young individuals, young uh, professionals kind of a a model of what vulnerability could look like and coming from managers, right? I think that's important, right? Coming from leaders, coming from managers where they sh- share their stories of tough times and pain mm-hmm. um, and allow allow that door to kind of open where now young professionals feel like they can share their stories without shame or judgment because we're we're creating the stage top down.
0: Yeah, that's so true. I was actually just talking to someone about this. I have this quote in mind when you're speaking. uh, It's called, as above, so below. It's kind of a spiritual quote to basically say like, you know, whatever you live internally, unless you first embody something, you can't change your external circumstances or you can't expect others to change if you're not first (laughs) embodying that change. And so um, that's what came, came to mind when you said that. And a lot of my own work now is really helping people see that. Right. Um, uh, someone gave me this example and they're like, like, let's say that or like, you know, there's a, a boss that arrives really, um, really late to a meeting. And he's like, you know, I, I just took a flight in and I didn't even get to say bye to my kids or, you know, something like that. And like what people remember is what you what you you know what you say but in this the example you set <laughs> yep. the the subconscious message that you're sending is that you're you know you're willing to forgo potentially your own well-being and your own priorities uh, for the sake of sacrificing yourself at work and so it's really important that like leaders model uh what it is that they want their employees to model as well um, yep. it's very simple but i think it's much harder said than done you know
2: absolutely because and The reason why I want to say that is I think we often forget this, right? In this equation, is leaders are flawed and they're people too, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's they 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 might put intentions forward to do certain things and model certain behavior, but they're people too, right? Like they are going to crack, right? They're not going to set the perfect example all the time, but but that's kind of the point, right? No one's perfect and no one's no one's gonna be able to do that all the time. I know. On top of well-being, right? If we're talking about well-being specifically, but that's a a big portion of well-being. I think is when you take like vacation or PTO or time off from work that you disconnect and you recharge yourself, right? That's a form of self-care to like make sure you're bringing yourself your best self back to work. And a big push of that at Deloitte is always also putting on, you know, putting on your out of office, really disconnecting, don't check in, all that sort of stuff. And then the subconscious signal that gets set when a leader is on PTO and, and checks in.
1: Right.
2: Yeah. And and all, you know, and, you know, the larger your young professional employees are on that email and that the leaders checking in while on vacation. Right. Yeah. What is that? What is that subconscious signal sending when they're saying, yeah, fully disconnect to all of the young professionals. But at the same time, they're not following that model. Right. Yeah. And so I think that's what you're you're getting at. And, and, you know, you see it all the time. But we also have to remember, like, right, right, that that those are probably habits that leaders have to break, too. Right. Like they, the old, old, you know, bad habits that they would have to break in terms of being able to set boundaries, keeping those boundaries, not checking in during PTO. And sometimes they'll, they'll kind of crack. Right. And so, um, and not maybe not set the best example. But I think if we, if we go in, if we help our young professionals, I think as we talk about authentic self and vulnerability, when you bring those two to the table, I think uh, not only does sharing happen, but the ability to um see someone else as a flawed individual also and not some of this and not a a someone who's trying to be perfect all the time is a big aspect of that also right um yeah. i feel like then young professionals look at you as as a person and not just as a boss
1: mm-hmm. and when
2: they see you as a person they react differently to when things like that happen that's
0: right it helps build trust almost um uh, mm-hmm. yeah Wonderful. Wow. I'm just sitting with what you're saying. There's so much mm-hmm. there to unpack. And so, you know, I, I think when, when I'm hearing you speak, I, I'm like, I'm just still in awe of how much you're able to like just share yourself because uh, for me ever, you know, from time to time, I still feel some shame around my own mental health journey. Um, and I think uh, primarily because it's um, it's also partly a spiritual journey for me. um. Yeah. And so I can share more about it. Um, But, but basically my mental health journey started um, really when I was, um, I was depressed because when I met my biological father and he rejected me and I fell into deep depression. And so Mm -hmm. I've had bouts of depression, depressive episodes per se, that um, would lead me to these um, kind of like these moments where I actually didn't know how to pick myself up out of them. And so um, I remember the first time I went through my first depressive episode. It was the summer of like uh, right, right before graduating college, and um, I had just met my biological father. He didn't want to be in my life. And um, I remember being at work, I was at, at this internship. <laughs> it was a really awesome internship. It was paid. And yeah. I started like just not feeling well. Like I just couldn't keep the keep up with the work. I felt like I was, I was in my, my thoughts were ruminating all the time. It was like, I just couldn't focus. Right. And like, I didn't know how to tell my boss that like at all. Um, And so what I ended up resorting to was just like quitting because it was like, I couldn't, I didn't know how to address what what was going on with me enough to be able to share what was going on and ask for what I needed because I was so deep into my depression. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I quit and I look bad in front of the boss and that, um, made me feel more shame It kind of like yeah. into, into more shame. Um, and so I, I've noticed that pattern where like, you know, I, uh, that was the first time that happened, but then obviously like being a type A personality of someone that like, likes to go, go, go and prove, 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 probably because of my own history of like, you know, feeling like I was rejected of some sort or abandoned, there's this need to want to prove myself. Right. So I, I, that personal part of me is what I talk took into every part of my life. And as you know, as a, as a wellness coach that you are, um, our life is made up of, um, many, many things, right? What it uh, I forget what it's made up of. Um, it's like primary food and secondary food. I forget what it is. And that's
2: kind of like the circle of life, right. All the different aspects of our life that we need to focus on.
0: Yeah. And so, um, so yeah. And so I kept pushing myself and I, um, you know, I went through other things that kind of like, you know, I went through breakups that would trigger my depression, depressive episodes. And then I I started working with a therapist uh, in my native country because I, for some reason, I just wasn't having um, a good time or I just wasn't uh, able to really connect with therapists in the U S very well. I guess I just needed someone to connect with who could understand my culture and my background. And um, I ended up uh, going towards the route of um, exploring ancestral medicine or like psychedelics as a form of my own healing. And it opened up a huge space for me to be able to heal all the stuff that was in my personal life, right? And so um, that, that kind of um, opening up that space was really healing, but it also um, like, you know, done under the right circumstances, it really helped. Um, but I had one experience that actually was not good, meaning I was not held through the space properly. And I ended up being hospitalized for a psychotic breakout and really scary because, uh, obviously the Western world doesn't necessarily approve of psychedelics or, you know, there's still a lot of research that's being done around, um, how helpful this could be. So being able to bring that or share that with my boss was triple times the, the shame, you know? <laughs> and so um this you know being able to voice this now is like wow like I've gotten through a lot to be able to tell you this story because um I feel comfortable with you but like you know having other people tune into this and the fear of it being judged or people don't fully understand it you know like the world of psychedelics is definitely very respected in my country uh, of Colombia because there's a lot of native indigenous peoples there and it's part of uh, what what the what cultures in my, in my country consider, um, part of, part of, um, like natural, you know, natural, natural healing, um, as opposed to Western medicine, which is just, let's just medicate, you know? Yeah. And so so I've, I've had a, a journey of like trying to balance the two like kind of like the more holistic view of myself and the more western side of the medical system that tells you this is what you know this is what happened to you this is what you need to do and um, I've kind of landed in the middle where like I have to really like take the best of both worlds and integrate them in order for me to move forward and that's what's allowed me to like actually view my experience as this like you know, I I can get help, and it doesn't have to be just all the holistic natural stuff, and it doesn't have to be all the medical um, Western stuff. It can be a mixture of both, and in that, I can support myself through my own healing. so, sorry, I know it was a lot. So that's
2: awesome. And I think the biggest thing out of that, as you kind of share that, is one obviously, you know, thank you for sharing. Right, that's a big big journey, a lot of, a lot in there, and a lot to unpack. But at the end of the day. The ability to recognize that hey I've done both of these things I've always I've always said I'm going to do all or nothing this way or all or nothing that way yeah. the ability to say hey maybe there's piece parts of different ways of doing things that I could take that benefit me because now instead of focusing on the right way or the wrong way mm-hmm. you've like shifted that completely to think well, oh, what works best for me
1: yeah
2: right and what works best for me could be a mixture of both And and or it could be one way or the other, but you explore that to figure that out, right? And I think that's that's huge uh, in that journey. I think that's where ultimately everyone gets to when they kind of get that upper trajectory is when they get to that rock bottom, when they get to that low moment, that's the moment where they're like, hey, I got to putting the thought process in to say what's going to work for me personally. And, yeah. and it's almost like taking additional personal personal responsibility when you're able to do so. You're like, okay, I'm going to take a little bit more responsibility and figure this out and and then you end up finding finding your way right and and you mentioned western medicine and, and medicaid you know i just to kind of give you some background too i mean i was medicated for those six years right um that i was going through through my journey and i, I will say this I, I think medicine played when i was going through kind of all of the initial stages of anxiety and depression and panic um it played an important role in terms of initially stabilizing me. And I truly believe that I think I needed that to get to a baseline where I could even think straight. Right. Um, Cause I was just so all over the place, um, mentally. And so um, played a huge part, but I think a part of my other journey after that was when I got to rock bottom and I'd been on for so long, you know, I said, I got to do more things. Right. And I, I, and I looked at like, what are, what are the holistic things that I could take a look at that I, that I have under my control that can help me change and get out of that kind of rut that I was in that cycle. And, you know, like I said, I think we like we've talked about before it's the biggest two things that, that I put forward after that moment was what I put into my body, right. In terms of eating f- nutritious food and, and those sorts of things and then uh, movement, right. Like how I was actually exercising and putting in movement to support, support my body. So I was looking at everything that was in to support me from a, um, brain and body perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, you know, I, you know, I'm sure you've had this, some similar experiences with doctors here in, in Western medicine in the U S and you know, I got told over and over again that I, I would be on medication for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. That I, there was no change. There was no possible way that I could come off and it be successful. Right. And so, um, just to kind of share this as part of my journey. And I'm not saying that I don't believe in Western medicine, that's not what I'm saying. Like I, I like I said, I feel like it played a huge role in my recovery, but as I got to that point and I shifted those things in my life, mm-hmm. um, I was off medication in six months. And from, so that was, you know, my journey started April, May, when I started making changes, I was off medication by December. And this is December, 2022 now. So I've been off medication for four years now. Wow! And so, yeah. So, I mean, I applaud that. I I kind of give myself a little bit of a pat on the back every December when that happens. Right. (laughs) Uh, But, uh, but that was, that was huge for me. Right. And I think uh, taking that personal responsibility, like you did too, right. And figuring out what works for you. It's like now I'm, I'm now, now that I've seen how good I can feel by taking those steps. Like I'm never giving those up. Right. Like sometimes you need those, that evidence to be like, Hey, this is working and I feel great and I'm going to continue this because it makes me feel good.
0: Yeah. Oh man. I mean, so what you're saying really speaks to like the, the personal will you had to change your life. Right. Like that's almost the first step in it all. Like, unless you have like the really just like the, the willingness to really change your life, like. No one's gonna do it for you, right? Like, no one is.
2: I'll, I'll say this: I took me, and and it's funny because you say that too, because for six years too, I had you know family, uh, you know my dad, you know my mom, my brother, you know all in the medical world, um, friends kind of like give me guidance on what I should be doing and focusing on, which is mm-hmm. pretty much all the right guidance that I ended up doing, right? Focusing on on diet and working out and all those things and. For six years, I kind of just didn't have the will or the mental fortitude to like keep up with it. Mm -hmm. And so the only reason why I bring that up is, is sometimes it takes a rock bottom sentinel moment to be like, I need to do this. It's almost like you get to a point where your survival instincts kick in a little bit when it comes to this stuff, when it comes to mental health or when it comes to anything in life, right? You get that rock bottom moment and that's what incorporates change. Yeah. Um, now the hard part is sometimes you look back and you're like, why did it take me so long?
0: Uh, yeah. Right. Kind of get mad at yourself. Because you kind of, like,
2: yeah. Yeah. You or why did you. I, I ruined this, this, and this, because it took me so long to actually get that right. Yeah. Right. And so, but that's, that's everyone's journey, right? Everyone's journey is, is different. And then for me, it took that kind of rock bottom sentinel moment to be like, this is enough. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta make changes.
0: It's so interesting. I was, um, I was talking to someone about the law of saturation. Do you know what that means? I've So the law of saturation is like the idea that until we are fully saturated by something, we won't make a change. So like yep. you keep on doing something that hurts you or that is not benefiting you until one day you're just, you have so much of it or enough of it that you like you, it takes you to the brink of it for you to finally make a change. Yeah, um, It's almost like you just have to experience that thing fully in order for you to be able to be like, Nope, this is, I need to change, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so um, I definitely have reached those points of saturation as well. Um, But you talk a lot about resources and I'm just curious to know, like, what was it like for you to have space held for you around the stuff that you were going through? Because for me, um, like, like this, these bouts of depression that I would have are, are moments where like, I didn't even know how to pull myself out of it. And sometimes I didn't have the right resource or the right person to help me through it. And so like, how did you as a man, right? Like like who, who, what was the support, the guidance that the, what, what did someone say specifically that helped you pull yourself out of that? Because at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a true believer that like we heal ourselves, right? Like no one does the work for us. They may support you in the process, but at the end of the day you're doing. And so what was the thing that pushed you towards it or how, how were those resources presented for you that helped you do that?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I like, I I don't think it's any necessarily one thing, but I'll say, you know, ever since since the beginning, right. Getting advice from, from family and friends, I do recall really getting
1: kind of routine advice provided Mm
2: -hmm. to me, even when it was maybe unsolicited, right. Like it wasn't necessarily solicited advice, but kind of having that, driven into my head, even if it's subconscious and it's just sitting there for a while, right? Mm-hmm. And knowing that that those are the potential paths that I could take to get better. I think when I got to that rock bottom moment, I mm-hmm. think those were all the things that kind of came back of like, okay, you know, they've told me I can do this. like I'll, I'll other you know, some of my doctors that i I were more fond of, like they told me that I can do this too, and like it would help. And like, let me, let me look into it. And all of a sudden, I mean, the path that I went to, Uh, When I was trying to find resources at that time, even though people were supporting me, kind of pushing me towards like finding resources, I started learning, reading everything that I could about brain health. Right. Since it was mental health related for me and like going through anxiety and depression, I started to read any book that I can get a hold of that was about brain health, whether it was, uh, you know, holistic related in terms of what, uh, you know, certain activities I need to do or tools I can use. Mm -hmm. um, or, or even nutrition. Right. And so I think I started the the first book that opened it up for me was a book called genius foods by Max Lugo which Mm -hmm. talked about a bunch of different foods that help support brain health. Mm -hmm. Right. And then as I started reading, you know, then he had a podcast. I listened to his podcast, learn about other doctors, order their books because they're promoting their book. Right. And I think I just went down this path of consuming information, anything that I could. And finally got to a point where I landed on trying out a diet that would have been different for me that I've never followed before that, but had a lot of good evidence around supporting brain health and, um, in like quick bursts. And so I started a ketogenic diet at that point. Um, yeah. And I, I was on that for about a year. Um, but that I think was the catalyst that, that, that flipped everything for me. Um, it was almost like, almost like a body reset button that I hit. It's, at least that's what it felt like to me. Right. It was like this this feeling of like a body reset, brain fog lifted. I got clear energy went up. I started working out and it all just kind of, you know, worked on itself from there. Right. And that's, that was it. I mean, it wasn't necessarily, like you said, no one's People can support you through it, but you got to do the work. No one's mm-hmm. going to sit there and read the book for me or, mm-hmm. or figure out the steps that I'm going to take every day or get me out of bed in the morning to, to go to the gym or get me out of bed to make breakfast or any of those things. Ultimately it gets to a point where, you have to do it. To and it. I, I don't want to minimize this. I, I understand, believe me, I, I fully understand when you're going through depressive episodes, anxiety, panic attacks. I fully understand how hard that is to be yeah. able to say, oh yeah, just get out of bed and go to the gym. Because when I was in it, I mean, getting out of bed alone was like felt like you were going to the gym, right? Like that was a monumental effort to even get out of bed and it was exhausting, right? Um, and I fully believe part of that is because I just wasn't supporting my body enough at that time. Right. And so it was just off kilter. And and I think changing up my diet first was like the the reset button.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, what you're saying is so important because I know for you know, what you're saying speaks to the fact that sometimes people don't realize the brain to body connection. Right. And what you're saying is that you have to change your physical eating habits for your brain chemistry to also change. Um, and so, yeah, that's super powerful because it's all connected, (laughs) you know, everything's connected. We'd like to think like our brain is separate from our body, um, et cetera, but everything is uh, very connected. And so if you change one thing somewhere, you know, in the life wheel, right. If you change one thing in one area, it impacts all other areas of your
1: life
2: as well. Absolutely. Similar. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I can always nerd out on, on food stuff, right. Or nutrition or bring you know, mind, body type stuff. Cause you know, there's more and more as I become a health coach now, right. As I'm trying to kind of transition into that journey too to serve others. You know, I I've learned a lot about nutrition and just the fact that, you know, there's more and more science and, and data coming out now that shows that even neurotransmitters in your brain are not actually produced in your brain, right. They're actually produced in your gut. And you need to support gut health in order to produce those neurotransmitters to help support your brain and that they go through the vagus nerve all the way up. Right. And so there's there's Um, things, you know, I think that we necessarily didn't know about 20 years ago that are just coming out now that are eye opening in terms of how nutrition and how all these things actually affect the brain um, and the way that we live our lives.
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. What you're saying for um, strikes a chord for me, because when I was hospitalized or right before, you know, getting hospitalized, I was actually doing a lot. Like it was my lifestyle, but also what I was eating. Right. So like I was training for a full marathon. I was working full time. I was um, going through like spiritual workshops. Like I was kind of overwhelming myself in a lot of areas. And I was also trying to be vegan. (laughs) Think about all that combined. Right. So it was like an explosion for my nervous system. And so um you know for the longest time I I was like I was thinking like perhaps I wasn't doing the the vegan vegetarian thing right because um I was told and learned that a lot of what we eat spe- specifically like uh fats, healthy fats that come from uh, meat sources also help um your neurotransmitters. Like they are the the glue that helps things fire properly up there, you yeah. know? Um, yeah. so, um, after I was hospitalized, I actually ended up uh, taking a step back and actually reintroducing me into my diet because in the spiritual world, there's a lot of people that say, Hey, the vegetarian way is the way, you know? Um, and I started kind of questioning everything as a result of it, because I started to realize that like everybody, every human, and you know, I'm a, I'm a whole human and every person is completely different. So one yeah. lifestyle is not necessarily the right one, right? Like you took on yeah. a that worked for you, but yeah. Worked for you may not necessarily work for me, and so absolutely yeah.
2: everything is everything is. And I learned this through kind of my program is everything is bio individual, right? Yeah, everything is multi-dimensional, right? There's all these aspects that we got to focus on or, or at least explore, right? But then everything on top of that is also bio individual. So any any lever that I pull across that entire multi-dimensional space, right, mm-hmm. is how it works for me. That mm-hmm. might work, like you said, that might work differently for you or for others. But mm-hmm. that is, I think, that's the most important thing: is being able to understand that, right, and what works for for everyone, and supporting them in that journey. And then for me, I just, I just started pulling my own levers, right? Like that's, yeah, that's how I got there. I had to like put in the work and and do it and figure it out. And I think that's why I've shifted into this kind of health coach space is because I, I want everyone to not only see that it's possible through my journey that you can make changes but also help people find their own levers, right? Pull their own levers, support them through that process of behavioral change and hopefully get them to the other side of whatever they're dealing with or whatever their goals would be.
0: Yeah. And so yeah. much of that is also a sl- like a slow process. You know, I've experienced yeah. that. Um, for me, the changes have come like like mm, the, the, the places where I've made the most uh, change are the ones where I've started very slow or very little. Um, like, you know, I used to drink soda at some point in my life and yeah. I had to slowly replace that with water and I was able to do it. And now it's a sustainable change. Right. But we have yeah. to make these changes, um, kind of in little bite-sized pieces. Cause I, I think our brains, like if you try to take on something way too big or too fast, it overwhelms your nervous system enough to be like, no, I don't want to do this. <laughs> you know? Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's too much. It's, it's, it's too much an overload to try to, to to sort it all in your in your mind, right? I mean, imagine that. Imagine waking up one day and just feeling like I'm gonna change my diet today fully. I'm gonna go to the gym all the time. I'm going to journal every day, going to meditate every day now. And you're trying to do all four of those things every day when you've never done them before. Like this is not gonna this is not gonna work. Right. Um something's gonna fall. Something's gonna fall. And then for most people what's hard is people fall off that because oh I failed on one of those things and so I should just give up on everything else. Right? Because I haven't been perfect. And so I think that's so you speak to a lot in terms of being able to change behavior and not trying to put too much on somebody because it is, it's a it's a journey, it's a it's a marathon, not a sprint. We're not trying to do this in 60 days, right? There's no quick fix on any of this stuff. Um, it's it's the small sustainable changes.
0: Yeah. And that I mean, I think that's the value of like coaches like you who are kind of held you hold you to the accountability of those small changes over time, right? Like if you start work with someone and, um, you can try to do it alone. Like I tried to do a vegetarian thing alone it didn't, you know, it didn't really work because they didn't have a, the accountability and two, the, the not know-how or knowledge to be able to do it properly. And so, mm-hmm. um, so definitely, um, you know, co- getting a coach or someone to support you who's in your corner around that specific area is really pivotal. I think.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely.
0: Is there anything else you want to share about um, just your mental health journey, or just in this spa- in the space that we've been discussing?
2: Yeah, nothing else. I mean, other than just kind of you know reflecting on my journey over the last you know few years, right? Just going from where I was in, in that rock bottom kind of moment years ago to now, you know, being kind of a a well being wizard and ambassador for that at Deloitte, being able to spread that and grow that, and mm-hmm. to now kind of becoming a health coach to serve others. I think I, I reflect on all the journey so far, but I know there's a lot left for me to kind of go do uh, in this space as I as I become a health coach and try to help others um, achieve their own goals. I think that's that's the part that's still exciting, right? Is like I get to now go shape that, figure out what that looks like. Um and and help others, right? I think I think we we get the most value out of life when we serve others, right? At the end of the day and with around things that you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. And so the ability, you know, I'm very fortunate to have the ability to kind of gone through that experience and, and, and use that to serve others in a way that I think hopefully benefits them.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I feel I resonate with that for sure. I think my goal and what I'm out to create, um, it's very much focused on you know helping organizations and leaders create the environments for people to feel that psychological safety to share themselves right and to be open about these types of things because at the end of the day if you're not uh, if you can't trust or feel safe in an environment voicing what you need it's going to be really hard for you to like actually be a healthy thriving human <laughs> you know yeah. we bring our ourselves to work at the end of the day it's not just like i can leave my mental health stuff at home while i work you know it's like part of me all day every day and so um, so that's what I'm hoping to do um, through my own coaching practice and um, looking forward to it, you know, helping people with those, all of those components of life. Um, um, yeah,
2: <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. And I think to your point, as someone who's also putting the, the, you know my finance hat on, right, like my manager hat on, you yeah. know, now uh, outside of well-being, you being able to do that at other companies and create those sorts of cultures um, just creates better teams. Right. Mm -hmm. Creates better teams, creates better work efficiency, productivity, all those things support the business. Right. And I think, and you did that not by building skills. Mm -hmm. You didn't do that by building skill set, like technical skill sets, is what I mean. You didn't do that by showing someone how to do Excel or showing how someone had to do something. You did it by creating a culture and a team where people are open with each other, where now they'll go to bat for anyone on their team because of who they are as a person because of who they are as a worker yeah and I think that that is that should be the end goal 100%
0: yeah do you have do you have any other questions for me
2: uh, <laughs> I, I don't have any questions but I have a comment one is you know and I remember that moment when you had all the all that stuff going on You mm-hmm. being vegan and marathon I remember we were sitting at the Ann Pizza right on the across the corner of Deloitte and I remember looking at your face and being like she is she's in it right now. She's overwhelmed. She doesn't really know how to process all this right now. Um, and she's still sorting it all out. And so super proud of you for being able to kind of manage and navigate that. And that was, you know, less than a year ago, right? So super proud of you for being able to push through that reset yourself. Um, and then I, now I think there's, there's big things for you to come in 2023. So you should be proud of yourself for, for your journey too.
0: Thank you, Brian. Thank you so much. It means a lot to me. I mean, when we, when we talked at that time, I was still in the thick of the shame and now I'm proud of myself because I obviously know that my story is unique uh, and I do hope it helps someone out there. Um, I'm hoping to use my, my story and my experience with it to also be able to hold space for people who need to uh, process grief, process like their way out of those depressive episodes, just like I experienced, um, I'm a deep space holder, <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I can do that for others, um, in their own processes as well. And so thank you. Uh,
2: awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Big things to come.
0: Yeah. Big things to come for you too. I'm excited. Yeah,
2: too. yeah me too. So we'll, we'll have to, we'll have to do this again at some point over the next year where we check in again and just kind of talk about our journeys more.
0: Yeah, we'll see how we've, um, who we've impacted next
2: (laughs) for Uh, sure. Absolutely.
0: Well, thank you so much. I'll see you next time then. All
2: right. Sounds good. Have a good one.
0: Thanks. Well, thank you so much for joining me once again for the Culture and Capetito podcast. I hope that you enjoy your coffee and hope that these conversations inspire you to keep connecting authentically. Have a great one and hope to see you soon.